and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. So good to be together. Hey, if we haven't met before, my name is Graham. Uh, it is a real privilege to be here. I was in our city location last week. It was awesome. So uh, God is uh, moving. God is doing great things. And uh, we have been on a journey together. Uh, just of this year, we've been talking about following Jesus and what does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, it's been really amazing. In fact, just the other day, a, uh, someone said to me that, and it's not the first time I've heard it this year, but someone said it's been the richest time for them uh, in terms of knowing Christ this year. Because these practices, when we start talking about practicing the way, we actually go from a kind of like a faith that's an idea to what it's meant to be, which is embodied. We're actually meant to embody faith. And so we've been talking about practicing the way. So have we got that screen here? We've been talking about the 12 practices uh, that, we, you know, the expectation is not that we'd all do it by like last Monday or 12, but to talk about the things that Jesus did that were actually physical and practical and by doing them, how they will bring an abundant, their abundant life that we're all, you know, we talk about the abundant life that we can enter into, but without having an embodied practice, many people feel as though the abundant life is just an ethereal idea. So we've, we've done scripture. We've, we've, these are all online, by the way. And, and this journey is like two or three years of following Jesus. We're committing to, to it. But we've done um, Scripture, we've done the practices of Scripture, of fellowship and community. We've done servanthood and generosity. Do you remember Ayin Tovar, a generous eye? That was good, eh? Everyone enjoyed that. Silence and solitude, fantastic if you're arguing with your spouse. A brilliant practice, quite easy to do. Uh, we've done prayer. We have done simplicity and Sabbath. How good was that, learning about Sabbath? That is, we stop. Sabbath in the Hebrew just means to what? Stop and delight. And if you do that, you will be formed into the image of Christ as you focus on how He can make you holy, not how you can make yourself holy. Um, and we've talked about emotional well-being. So we're, we're pretty well along the way. Um, and today, we're going to talk about fasting and feasting. <laughs> I can see people running. <laughs> running and sprinting. That's what we're talking about. Um, it's quite interesting, we've paired these two together. Um, food has a really interesting dynamic when it comes to the life of Jesus. Think about how he interacted with food. Next week, uh, we're all together here uh, for Labor Weekend. We've got our youth camp on, but the week after, you're going to hear a great message on feasting. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable, which means that I'm going to talk about fasting. And uh, fasting is actually something pretty simple. Um, do you actually know anyone in your life that shouldn't not eat? Have you got someone in your life and it's like when they do not eat, their world falls apart? Have you got anyone in your life like that? Or are you like that? Back, back when I was younger, they used to call it um, hangry. And then Rebecca started to say to me, you know, because something would happen, we'd be in town shopping with our five children or something random, uh, which, you know, that is actually a test of the flesh, that. Uh, and then I'd start getting real like, antsy and should be like you're just hangry and but when you're hangry you're like don't tell me I'm hangry and then you get a cheeseburger and you just feel fine again everything feels <laughs> everything feels really good 
And they actually say there's two types of people in the world. And I reckon this would be true in this room as well and online, that there are those who live to eat. In other words, you just love food. And there's others who eat to live. You don't mind food, but you've got other things to do. Two groups of people. How do you know if you're one or the other? I can tell you, it's pretty much what people take to work with them. That's how you know. So if you come to work with leftovers like gourmet pulled pork, uh, anything with roast lamb involved, um, quinoa, um, which I thought was pronounced quinoa. I, when that first came out in New Zealand, I was like, I have a bowl of quinoa. And Rebecca was like, what now? And, uh, but if you have anything with quinoa in it at work, you live to eat. But if you take a tin of tuna to work, hello, you just eat to live. It's just about function. It doesn't matter. As long as it tastes reasonably okay. And, uh, but you might want to write this down. This is pretty profound, okay? We're going to go deep right now. Fasting is not eating. Yeah. Um, it's not, this is quite important. I know this is going to be controversial. It's not not going, it's not going without social media for three days. Um, and, and it's not like not shopping for three days. All of those things are actually really healthy for you too. Um, like you've, you're fasting the TAB. Um, no. <laughs> what, what we're talking about, those things are, what, you're fasting the TAB at the moment. Okay, that's great. Um, sounds like James isn't. And I want to say to you, James, when you come to bring the people of God on a journey, don't tell them in the nation you live in that the Australian team's going to win tomorrow night. You lost me. You, lo- you lost me. But by the time you talked about Jesus, you got, got me back again. Um, what the, what, if I, I've heard a lot in the recent years, you know, I'm fasting social media. No, you're abstaining. And abstaining is biblical. Like I'm taking time out to focus on the things of God. Uh, but fasting is about food, okay? And there is massive benefit. You know, um, lots of um, fitness people and health people are coming out with just crazy scientific proof that fasting from food is phenomenally repairing to our bodies. And so I think Jesus always um, knew that. But as the church, the church, we don't talk about fasting that much. And that is a big problem. Um, I know why we don't talk about it, because pe- people love food and they don't like being hungry. Um, but one of the results of not talking about it is that what you don't talk about, you won't understand. And what you don't understand, you'll generally avoid. And what you generally avoid, you don't get to experience. And so we've actually got to talk about the power of fasting and the things that it unlocks in our lives. I started fasting early on in ministry. Um, Coming up February, it's gonna be 20 years of full-time ministry for me. 20 years, that's pretty cool, eh? I know. Thanks so much. I'll be here a week. So um, I, I got involved and, you know, felt the call of God quite accidentally, actually. It's a long story. But I, I didn't really know how to fast and I, no one told me I should fast, really. I just read it in portions of scriptures I was reading through. Um, but I knew that really what was going on, if I could explain it like this, I knew I needed God, like a lot. I had young people. You know, they say there's only three things young people want to know in youth ministry. They want to know about the end times. They want to know about sex. And they want to know, will there be sex during the end times? That's all they want to know about. And so I was like, holy moly, man, I need God. And I knew that people who fasted, this is from what I'd heard and what I'd experienced, that people who fasted had a dynamic with God. So I kind of, that's, I think a lot of faith is quite pragmatic. If you think about, 
I read it in truth in the Word of God, but then I see it in practice. That's where pragmatism and faith collides. It's a really important thing to be aware of. You see a principle you read in God's Word working in someone's life. Like, you know where it says in the Bible, lay hand on the sick and they shall recover? If you, you think about that, we believe that, but how often do you lay hands on the sick? The answer to that is what you really believe. Not just that you believe if you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. What you really believe is what you do in pragmatic approach, practice, doing. So I knew that Jesus had fasted 40 days without food or water. I knew that Moses had fasted the same. I knew that Elijah had fasted. I knew Daniel fasted. And I I know that um, for the people of Israel, they're commanded to fast food, not fast food. I know you heard that. You're like, oh, I love fast food. Jesus. Oh, And they were commanded to fast food for 24 hours to observe the commandment of what? The Day of Atonement. So they were commanded once uh, every year, 24 hours, and, and that is to repent and to reflect on our sins and bring them before the Lord. I started with a Daniel fast, and so I didn't know how to fast, and I hated the idea of it. So I started eating only vegetables. In Daniel 1, um, Daniel was made strong and sharp, um, way sharper and stronger than Nebuchadnezzar's other officials. And then Nebuchadnezzar saw the results and changed their leadership program so that they stopped drinking alcohol and eating meat. They would just do these stints of eating vegetables. Um, so guys, veganism is legit real in the Bible uh, for 21 days. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Later in Daniel, sorry, that's a joke. I take it back if you're offended, it's your fault. Okay, in Daniel 10, <laughs> no, no, it's you, not me. Anyway, in Daniel 10, Daniel receives, Daniel 10, Daniel receives a prophetic message from the Lord about a future and it begins to cause him to mourn. So during that time of mourning, Daniel once again goes back to eating only vegetables. No wine, no meat, no sugar, whatever. And, and he did that to actually, uh, again, think about the pragmatic idea. He wants his body, the embodying practicing of faith, to enter into what he believes in here and in here. Okay. So somewhere along the path, though, I went from doing Daniel fast to doing full fasts. I knew not to eat, but I had to learn along the way what it was doing, what was going on. And whenever I did fast, and whenever I do fast, I never, ever, ever have regretted it. But going into a fast, I nine times out of 10 absolutely dread it. Every time. I just am like, oh no, I'm gonna fast on whatever day. Um, I would say 95% of the time, no one knows that I'm fasting. Not even Rebecca. I'll take portions of time and then I might just not eat at tea and go do something else. I might say to her though, that other percent of the time, hey, I'm just not eating and um, that I'll keep it pretty low, low key. None of the team would know, none of the staff would know, unless we're doing a corporate. For many, many years, I'm at risk right now of telling you how I fast now, which gives me two risks. Number one, that you think I'm Superman and there's pride. Or number two, I'll lose my blessing. The Bible says that. But I have um, on a regular basis tried to involve a type of fasting regularly throughout my ministry, okay? I'm not gonna tell you how long it is. I'm not gonna tell you any of that stuff. I'm just gonna tell you that and you can try and pretend you know, fill in the gaps. But I would actually discover this thing that when I fasted and, and prayed, not just not ate, there was a dynamic, a dynamic in my life. Um, 
It's really interesting. Jesus didn't say to us as new covenant disciples how long we should fast for. He did say when he was asked, why is it your disciples are not um, fasting but when they were referring to John the Baptist's disciples? Jesus did refer, say, look, while the guest of the bridegroom is with them, um, there's no point. Like That would be weird to fast at a wedding. But he did say when the bridegroom will be taken from them, they will fast. But he never gave days. He never gave types. He never gave length of fasting ever. Um, there's nowhere. I can't find anywhere Jesus has said it. Paul doesn't even teach on fasting. But there's a few references, both in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, where we know Paul has fasted. So what am I saying? There's no point trying to make a legalistic law out of this thing. But, I'll say it again, there is a dynamic. There is a dynamic. So I knew, I've known people who have fasted for 40 days. Um, hey, Helen, Boulder, I've got your book, by the way. Um, the Heavenly Man. Have you been looking for it? I've just about finished it, about Brother Young. And uh, anyway, I've got to return it to you, okay? So um, Beck keeps saying, you've got to return that book to Helen. And I'm like, I've got to finish it. So I've been reading it over the last couple of weeks. Do you want me to keep it? Okay, thanks. No, she was like shaking her head, don't worry. She's probably shaking her head like, why are you wasting your time telling everyone this? Um, but anyway, he, he fasted 75 days in prison. And you read that book and you wonder what kind of faith we've got in the West. You read that book and that will mess with you big time. But in the end, I know people who have fasted for 21 days, 10 days, seven days, three days. And I know many people who have fasted uh, weeks of the year for just like daytime from morning to um, dinner time. In the end though, it's not a prescription. It's an invitation to what? A dynamic. I reckon you need that dynamic. I reckon you need a dynamic that's going to keep your faith going. There's two dynamics at play when we fast, and they're exciting, but they're also challenging. And I'm going to share them with you, and we're going to see how we go. Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. An incident has happened which has really crazy dynamics to it. When they came to the crowd, to the crowd a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He said he has seizures and is suffering greatly. What have we got? A problem, okay? And he often falls into the fire or into the water. In other words, somebody's trying to kill this kid. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Man, the, the layers of issues in this story are just, this is the matrix of all matrix. This is fantastic. And, and it's actually a really interesting thing because up until this time, the disciples... Had, the, had had the answers. They'd been out on their ministry trip and they were preaching the kingdom. And do you remember they came back and they said to Jesus, we've seen the kingdom. People are seeing and people are hearing and people are being delivered. But out of nowhere, for some reason, they just can't do it with this. I don't know what, what's taking place, what's going on in their minds. So the disciples say to this boy, in the name of Jesus or something, and nothing. So the dad says, so I came to your disciples and here is Jesus's response. Are you ready for this? Jesus says, verse 17, oh, or you, unbelieving and perverse generation. He uses two words. And if you are gonna take notes, this is one of the best teachings I've heard on fasting. And I've stolen some of this. I'm just gonna be straight up from a guy called Chris Hodges. Because when I heard him speak about it, to me, it was probably the best teaching on this. 
But he says this, O unbelieving and perverse generation. And I've highlighted the two words, oh, they're not highlighted on there, but they should be. Unbelieving and perverse, because Jesus brings up these two words with the problem. You wanna know why the disciples couldn't solve it? You wanna know why they couldn't deal with it? You know, wanna know why the dynamic wasn't there to be able to do what they'd been doing for whatever reason? You've got two problems right here. You are unbelieving and perverse. And he's telling his disciples, guys, and he says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and comes out of the boy and he's healed in that moment. Now these two words, unbelieving and perverse, I'm gonna give you Chris Hodges definitions, but they're biblical, really biblical. And they, just the way he phrased them to me made, has made the most sense to me. Unbelieving means this, not connected to God. Unbelieving doesn't just mean you can't believe for a certain thing or you just can't get your head around it. No, that kind of infers elements of doubt or like journey. And Thomas, as one of the disciples, reminds us that there is room for doubt, but there is not good space for unbelief. To believe is just fundamentally, to have faith is just to be connected to God. Meaning, when he says unbelieving, he's saying, in this moment in time, you're not connected enough to me. You have disconnected from my life, my joy, and you've become in some place in your life an unbeliever. And I don't know if you feel bad about hearing this or this makes you kind of feel guilty, but to me, it encourages me. Because if the disciples can experience this, it explains a lot about us. It explains a lot about the way that we end up being the way we are. The problem is, if we are disconnected from God, then we are also disconnected from His life, from His peace, from His joy, from His deliverance. In other words, all that is God. All that is God. And it's like Jesus is saying, you don't realise it, but you need to improve your connection with me. It's not that you're not saved. It's just that walking in the fullness. And I think if I was to give you an illustration, it might be for those of you who are parents, you know how you can have your kids in your home? That's kind of parenting, isn't it? To have your kids in your home. And I love when they go, get out of my room, Dad. And I'm just like, you know, this is not what the bank recognise at all. This is not, this is not your room, but uh, you know, whatever, you know. What's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. But anyway, but there are moments, hey, where even with your kids, when they go through tough times or what do you call it? The teenage years. I love eh, watching um, young families with young kids and they're like, I think I'm burnt out. You're like, what do you mean? I'm just tired all the time. No, that's parenting young children. It is a perpetual burnout. That's what it is. You are gonna be burnt out. But do you know how God rewards you at the end of that time? He gives you the teenage years. Yeah, He, he, he deals with you in a way that is like fear and trembling. And anyway, I recognise like with one of my children um, and you know, that child, um, you know, I see things in that child that I see in me. And again, like God just keeps giving us opportunities in our life, right? Because I think even my in-laws have told me, um, you know, for them, the whole thing of dealing with grandchildren is watching their life and thinking, okay, well, God, we trusted you with our kids and now we're gonna trust you with our kids' kids. God just keeps giving us opportunities, what? To keep depending on Him, to keep walking in Him. Man, how much in our families we need that dynamic. But what I've learned as a dad, it's actually not my ability just to provide for my kids. 
or just my, the ability to say that I have kids, I'll tell you number one, or even the ability to discipline my kids, I'll tell you what it always, always, always is about. It's about the connection with them. If I have a connection with my kids, if I have a strong relationship with my kids, every issue that comes after is relationally functional. In other words, I don't discipline first, I connect first, and then we talk about what's going on. I don't always do that perfectly well. There's at least one here to witness to the fact. But the point being, it is true in God as well. So, so you say, I'm going to heaven when I die. A lot of people on the census say that. But they're not living with the life of God in them. They're not living with the peace of God in them. They're not living with the joy, and they can. I shouted, yes. You can. We, we should. Anyway, Jesus says, look, this is what it's like. You don't realise it, but you need to improve the connection with me. And that was actually the first dynamic. But then he uses a second word. He says, oh, unbelieving. And then what did he say? And perverse. So he's not, he's not, he's not using one word to reinforce the other. These are two different words. And I want you to write this down. Perverse means too connected to the world. Unbelieving means not connected to God. And the second is that you are too connected with the world. We have to admit that we are way more connected to the world than we like to admit. Jesus is talking at a time before 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. Jesus is talking way before technology is screaming at you with alerts. And if you are not, He's saying, not only are you not connected with me, but you are like attached to the world. And maybe even to some degree, you're like involved in things that's not only diluting your relationship with me, but it's actually creating issues that you can't connect with me. And I want to intentionally not tell you what those things might be in your life because that's not a pastor's role. I am not here to judge you. I am not here to cast judgment on you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit will convict you of exactly what it is, either in your connection with Him or your too, being too connected with the world. And He will do it in a way that liberates you and unlocks you rather than binds you up and cast condemnation on you. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And you want to say to the Holy Spirit daily, hey, is there anything in me? Be there anything wrong in me? Is there any, show me what it is. Show me what's stopping this connection. Show me what's attaching me to, where I'm attached to the world too much. And that is why Jesus said they could not do it. And um, you might feel like you get to a place where you feel like you can't connect or you can't break through. And this would be a really important thing to remember this lesson today. That if you ever feel as though, even though you know the word and you know what's true and you know, but you can't, I'm talking about these moments, you can't seem to break through. For me as a youth pastor, I just can't do this in my natural strength. I just can't. When you get to that point, okay, essentially this, I'm not connected enough with God and I'm probably too connected with the world. And this is what Jesus' solution was. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you though, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and every, every person in this room who wants to be a disciple of Jesus, can I highlight this three-letter word? You can say, man, I, I think faith and speaking, the words you say have a huge bearing on how connected to the world you are or not, or how connected to God you are or not. But he said, you can say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then verse 21, 
which doesn't appear in all manuscripts, but it does in this version. But this kind does not go out except by, he names two things, prayer and fasting. That's what he says. And I've noticed that this is often the case for me in my life, but it might be as well for you. And you look at those two things because this is what's true. Prayer connects us, it's gonna come up, with, I'll just say it to you. Prayer connects us with God. Prayer and fasting. So when you pray, that's actually the more time you spend with God, the more your faith will grow. Are you like, man, my faith feels so weak. I just feel like I'm going backwards. I don't feel like I have that fullness of life. Pray. Put an alarm on your phone. Why don't you pray every hour of the daytime for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, for however long? And you just assign your life to the fact that as I get more familiar with God in a good way, what's gonna happen? My confidence is gonna grow. That faith is gonna grow. Prayer connects us to the power of God. Spending time builds confidence in God. Spending time with God, your faith is ignited and your spirit man grows. Basically, um, the key issue here with this teaching is we're, we're a body with a soul and a spirit. And the one you feed the most will be the most dominant. So sex, sex is not just a soul issue. There might be soul issues going on, but sexual perversion, why we act out sexually, is actually as body as anything. Mixed with a soul that is not restrained or brought under the dominion or the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So what happens to your spirit? It gets dominated by these two things. But a spirit that is strong, spirit that is strong, will actually bring life to your body and soul. Romans 8 says, so if we walk according to the flesh, these things will take place. But if we walk according to the spirit, life, joy, peace will be the case. It's pretty simple. So prayer connects us to God. But remember, he also said not only unbelieving and perverse, not connected with me enough, too connected to the world, but he says prayer and fasting. And this is a really basic description. Fasting disconnects us from the world. When you stop eating food, and, and I, I can show you, like read these Bible verses to you, but I've, I have experienced it. Your tummy starts rumbling. Your senses start changing. You start like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling like this? And you know, I'll give you the greatest insight that has helped me. When I get hungry from fasting, this is what I tell myself. Ah, this is how my spirit feels about God when I don't connect with Him. Whenever I stop eating, it's a physical way of saying, this is how my spirit is when I'm not walking or remaining in the vine. And I reckon there's people in this room and online, your spirit's just so hungry, you just don't realise it, but that's the issue. It's too connected to the world. And fasting is not punishing yourself. God is not interested in repunishing you. He did that on Jesus on the cross. He is very interested in, however, from disconnecting you from the power of the world. The influence of culture, it's saying, well, if you don't earn this, you're not significant from that connection of I am what I do, of, of performance mentality, 
of the... Um, man, some of the teaching coming out of the world is so demonic, eh? You know, I, I, could go, I could start going on, I've got no time, but I, there are some teachings coming out of the world. The, the, one, the one that's really concerning at the moment is the one that's um, connected to things being futile. In other words, life is meaningless. And there's a lot of young people today, particularly, but even older people, who just because they, their life did not end up as success in the world showed them, they presume their life has no meaning. But you can't live a life with no meaning and not experience the fallout. And God is very interested in disconnecting you from the lie that life is meaningless. He is, hot, he is very interested in doing that. No, he said, even if you offer a cup of water in my name, you're engaging with kingdom and eternal things. In other words, what? Everything you do is significant when you're connected with me. So I'll say this to finish up and maybe the band can come and join me. Listen to this. You'll always lose your dominion in this world as soon as you feed off the world. You will always lose your dominion in the world as soon as you feed off the world. Adam and Eve lost theirs as soon as they fed off the world from what God said not to do. And that's an awful, awful place to be. So fasting reduces our flesh, therefore increases our spirit. And, it, and you're not fasting for God, you're fasting for you. You're fasting to cut your flesh from having to be the dominant force in your life. And you want your spirit to be strong. God spoke to me at the end of July and I, I shared it with our, um, our, what do we call it? Team night. And I, I just was reminded of it this morning. He spoke to me at the end of July saying that we as believers need to get stronger. You know, everything going on in COVID and everything that's been going on um, with culture, even before that, it's like, oh, I'm scared to speak up, scared to tell the truth. I, I, I don't want to offend anyone. The world, you know, the world can't accept it. And I just felt, God calling BS on it. Just say, nah, the problem is not that we don't have enough of the Word or enough anointing or enough grace on our life or enough gifts. The problem is we're not being strong enough. We're just simply not being strong enough. What do I mean by that? Whatever you take from it. We're not speaking the truth like we should. We're not standing where we really should for righteousness. We're not really like taking steps of faith like we should. And we think the world are gonna get like, gonna have a problem. Some people might, but the world is looking for a strong and brilliant and bright and pure bride. Like my picture of the church is not a bride being carried in on a stretcher. Oh, just limping along. It's this kind of um, integrity and not just elegance, like I'm not trying to think flowery, but, but um, I, think, I think that, you know, sometimes we go, God, what about this? And God, what are you gonna do here? And why can't we see the answers? But we're just not taking strong, sometimes not taking strong enough action like we barely pray, we barely open the Word, we barely come regularly to worship God. You know, what are we doing here together today? 
public worship of God, public hearing of His Word. It's commanded in the Scripture. And when humanity toys with that and tweaks that and goes, I don't think it means it in the Greek. I think it's like bad exegesis. And I just say, I think you're out of your mind. I think you have taken God's Word and you've twisted it to fit your life. And that might sound strong, but we should be even stronger than that. We need to be encouraged. We need, like your breakthrough is not coming by dabbling. It's coming by taking a stand. What kind of stand could you take that strong? I have been forgiven forever today through the cross. You ready for this one? There are two genders. When they bury me and they look in my casket, they're not gonna wonder if I identify as a, you know, a farm animal. The undertaker is gonna go, oh yep, that was a guy. Barely, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what I meant by that. But, but to hear the word today, to hear it spoken powerfully to your heart is this, that is not a threat to you, that's your breakthrough. Because why I'm wrestling in that is actually the journey. And there are things that I need to wrestle with in God, and it might be gender, that's your wrestle, that's your cross to bear. But that's what will bring you to the feet of the gracious Lord Jesus. Not when you pretend it doesn't exist, but when you come to Him and say, I'm struggling with how I identify, I come to your feet. And as Cy Rogers, who was gay, and God touched his life in a peace, now in heaven, but touched his life in a powerful way, as he beautifully said, God would rather have a messy you than know you at all. But God will not have a pretending you. He will not have a, you cannot come to God pretending. It's an enigma. Oh, now we're getting strong. And I just wrote this down, okay? Fasting helps bring God's direction. Ezra asked God, said, we're gonna fast before God for a day that He will set the way for us and our little ones in which way to go. Fasting helps break the power that defeats us. Does there seem to be something that defeats you, a stronghold in your life, generational issues that you can't overcome? Yes, the blood of Jesus breaks you free from that. But maybe you can't receive the power of that blood because you're too full of the world. Fasting helps bring national breakthrough. Esther asked the whole nation to fast for her because she was under attack. The Jewish people were gonna be annihilated and they fasted for three days and three nights. And it brought what? A total, total victory. And if I had more time, I'd share with you about Isaiah 58, a whole chapter on fasting that says that your healing will appear. Righteousness will come before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. What is that? Healing, righteousness and glory come from starving your flesh man and letting your spirit man rise up. And I said this in my notes, you don't earn any brownie points from fasting, none at all. You don't get self-righteous or proud. That is not the fasting the Lord is looking for. Jesus said, look, wash your face, do your hair. Half the people in my world never know when I fast, but that's the way He wants it because it's between God and your spirit. Amen. And you don't have to do this. It's not law, but you don't have to stay spiritually dull either. <laughs> Finally. Oh. I, look, let me say this. May, maybe for you, it's like, I'm gonna skip one meal. I'm gonna fast one meal. 
And on that meal, because it provides time for us to pray and to worship God. This week, I wanna put that challenge out. For those of you who feel like, I'm gonna fast one meal this week, and in place of that meal, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna worship God. And I'm gonna spend that portion of time and I'm gonna just see what it does to my spirit, man. Others of you, two meals this week. Two meals. I want you to actually challenge yourself to wake up in the morning and not eat, go through lunch, not eat, and then eat at dinner time. And during those moments, I want to encourage you. By the way, I'm not saying every day. Don't do it every day, uh, unless you want to. But just start somewhere and just see what it does to your spirit. So that you'll connect to God by praying and you'll disconnect from the world in Jesus' Name. Amen. Spirit of God, I just thank You for Your presence in this place uh, this morning. Thank You for Your Word. I thank You for um, yeah, that, that truth today. And I just pray there'd be uh, right now power from heaven. Just come, just to fall on people's lives, just to bring a transformation, just to bring a grace. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Just online, I just want to say goodbye to everyone online. I'm not sure who's running um, the edit team, but we're going to say goodbye to you right now. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more about what's going on, go online. Uh, God bless you. There's links in there that you can respond to. We'll see you very, very soon. God bless you. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz. 